Hi everyone and welcome to Behind the Numbers, the show where we dig a little bit deeper to understand what's really important in business. My name is Dave Bookbinder, I'm a Senior Director at Pine Hill Group in their Evaluation Services Department. Uh, today, my guest says that if you can predict the performance of your employees, you can prevent future problems. And he knows exactly how to do that. I'm pleased to welcome the Managing Partner and CEO of NAST Partners, Dave Nast to Behind the Numbers. Dave, welcome. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for joining us today. So before we dive into the predicting of performance, tell everybody a little bit about your extensive background and, and who is NAST Partners and what do you do? Oh, thank you. Um, so I'm a recovering headhunter. I was in executive search for roughly 17 years. I owned a retained search firm and placed over 500 CEOs in that time. Uh, from there, I went on into the career coaching space and executive coaching as well. And then we opened up NAS Partners in 2014, me and my wife and business partner, Christine. Uh, she's a certified coach as well. You can guess how we met. And uh, so yeah, now we are certified partners for the Predictive Index. Great. So let's dive into this whole idea about predicting performance. And I want to come at it from kind of the scientific perspective. So um, when you think about engaged workforce, right? discretionary efforts the holy grail so discretionary effort is employees going above and beyond mm -hmm. um, and you say that if you can understand the DNA of your people you can help them stretch to achieve discretionary effort and you've also written a piece called mapping the corporate genome so there's a DNA theme here at the individual level and its corporate level talk about that yeah so when I think of individuals and I think of their performance uh, I think about fit not cultural fit, because cultural fit is very popular right now to talk about, but I think you can get lost in thinking about hiring people just like me, which is cloning, and that can lead to blind spots and groupthink. I think of fit to role, so I think of culture contribution when I think of culture, but when I think of the individual, matching them to a role. So we have the predictive index, which enables us to create a benchmark for any role in the company designed by the stakeholders. So it's accurate, timely, and up to date. We can match someone to that, and rarely is somebody a perfect match. But if we can identify it, we can coach those gaps and increase people's performance and their job satisfaction. So think about this. You're in a job, and you're in the flow of work. That's when you have the energy to give discretionary effort. That's when you're enjoying yourself. Like, go back to a time in work where you had a project you were working on and you lost two to three hours of yourself. You just started working on it and next thing you know it's five o'clock. That's where you want to get people because that's where they're getting creative and that's where they can start doing things. So with PI, when we have the benchmark established for the role and then we have the person and we can match it to it, we can literally identify the different gaps that occur and then with their information, with who they are, their DNA, we know how to get through to that person. So it doesn't just give us awareness, it's actionable awareness, something that we can use to get them there. So a good example would be, this happened at a client recently. We had a guy who got promoted and he was a rock star in his old existing position and his DNA from his predictive index would tell us he has no attention to detail. He's just a doer, fast paced, go, go, go. But his highest drive revealed that he is driven by perception. His boss used that when they promoted him because the new role they promoted him to, the highest drive required was around detail orientation, precision. That could have been a stumbling block for them. So they could have lost a really good employee over that. So with the information, knowing he's driven by perception, his boss was able to tell him on day one, hey, this is how you're gonna be recognized in this role versus how you were recognized in the path. 
in the past. So that gave him a clear path on how to behave. So within three months, four months, he was number one in that department. So here's where PI is a little bit different. If we go by only observable behavior, we're guessing at what's driving the behavior. PI tells us the drives. We all have drives. Drives create needs. When we go about meeting those needs, that's the behavior that shows up. So I liken it to an iceberg. The stuff you see on the surface is observable behavior. There's a lot of stuff under the surface, and that's where workforce analytics comes in. It reveals all that to us. So people are capable of stretching, and people are capable of masquerading. Masquerading is when you don't have the awareness. That's when someone's acting in a certain way and you don't know why. Stretching is when we have a blueprint and we have the benchmark and we're coaching that gap to get someone to literally stretch to perform. And think about this, if you're in a job that's not a perfect fit for you, but we know how to motivate you to get you into the flow of work, you'll enjoy your job more, discretionary effort will emerge, the company also gets better results from that as well. Yeah, good stuff. You shared an example with me some time ago, and uh, it's about the folks on a golf course when you talk about observable behaviors <laughs> and how you might perceive them. Uh, I, I thought for me that really resonated, not that I'm a golfer by any stretch, but it, it created an example that I could understand and relate to. It, would you mind just sharing that? Because I think that helps to put in context exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, that's about behavior. And, and yeah, I, I've, I've seen Dave golf. You don't want to see that. Right. But um, so, uh, no, so think about this. You and I are having lunch, and we see three guys playing golf. And our observation of their behavior is, wow, they seem really competitive. And we're basing that on what they're demonstrating for us. They're teasing each other before the shot. They're getting frustrated after the bad shots. They're celebrating the good ones. Yeah, they're really into it. They're concentrating when they're putting, all that stuff. So we think they're competitive. We really don't know that. So if we had the data that could show us what's driving them, one of them could be driven to win. He truly is competitive. So we got that one right. The other two, though, one could be driven by perception. Wants to look good, doesn't want to look bad. That's very, very different. The last one could be driven by precision. So he's working on his grip, the nuances of the game, the swing, and all that stuff. That's why he appears that way. So the problem could become is, you know, I become their golf coach, and I go in assuming they're all competitive. And I'm going to try to motivate all three of them in the same way. I'm going to lose two of them. Yeah. Now in the office, when things like that occur, if I mislabel you, I could actually take an engaged employee and disengage them. Because over time, I, they could be thinking, wow, Dave doesn't get me anymore. And they get frustrated by that. But they're less likely to speak up. So over time, and you and I both know that engagement, there's no such thing as passive disengagement. If you're disengaged, it's very active. They are the epicenter of gossip, rumors. I think the, uh, the image that you once shared with me was there's 10 people on a lifeboat. Right. Engagement right now is around 30%. Three people are swimming for sure. Four of them are just taking up space on the boat. And the three that are disengaged are back there trying to sink the ship. Yep, exactly, exactly. Great example, so thanks for bringing that home. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes before we gotta go to commercial break, but you mentioned a term actionable awareness in, in talking oh. about the predicting of performance. What is actionable awareness? Yeah, um, so a lot of solutions out there will give you awareness. We don't just provide reports, we provide results. So every time there's a mismatch or something, there is an action guide, a coaching guide, a plan to get someone where you need to be. So you think of mapping the corporate genome. 
um, which is a phrase I came up with because back in the 90s when I was a head hunter, I placed 17 of the doctors that mapped the human genome. And as a young kid who didn't know anything, I was on the phone with them one night and I said, why is this project so important? And they said, well, it's not about curing disease, it's about preventing it. So when you establish a benchmark for every position in the company, if you have an employee for longer than three years, they might have more than one job with you. Therefore, the coaching is going to be different, so it's actionable. If I have the employee's DNA and I have a benchmark established, anytime we match someone throughout the organization, we'll get a different coaching guide. We'll get a different action guide for them. If we have two individuals that are having challenges, we can put them in and do a relationship guide so they can get the most out of that. And all the managers can get a scorecard for their people with an action plan attached. So there's always a plan of action to improve. It's not just awareness like, that's who you are. Good luck to you. There's always a plan attached to get them where you need to be. Great. Um, I'm sure there are folks in our audience who would want to know how to contact you to learn more about this. Dave, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Oh, thank you. Um, well, if you are a business owner or a CEO and you're having problems with turnover, if you're doing a lot of hiring and you're afraid of making a bad hire, if there's mergers and acquisitions coming and there's the integration piece that's causing you stress, go to www.nastpartners.com. Very good. I think we have just a little bit more time. You mentioned something about the coaching component of this. How many companies are really involved in coaching their employees? You know, my experience has been, uh, in, anecdotally and personally, is you're hired, you're in a role, do your job, and you get evaluated, but not a whole lot of continuing coaching. How many companies are actually involved in that? Well, it, it's interesting. Um, there's a scary stat I got recently that um, the average age in which a, a U.S. worker becomes a manager is 31, and the average age in which they get their first management training is 42. Yes. Uh, that could be a problem. So teaching managers the basics of coaching, which is really around asking questions and getting, that's a big deal. So um, I'm not sure. With, um, with us, PI comes with that component to it. And then me and my team, our team, we have um, ICF certified coaches and award-winning business coaches on our staff. So we will work with the company. And something that makes us a little bit different, if you're on PI with us, we sit on your bench. We don't charge for our time. So we can go in and help. So we have coaches that can actually help you get the most out of your people and improve those relationships in the office. That's great. So if somebody's working with you, they're getting a holistic solution. They're not just getting a piece of software and you know, good luck with that. Yeah. They're getting a team, they're getting coaching. That, that's fantastic. We have to take a very quick commercial break. Um, my guest is Dave Nast. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers. Don't go anywhere. Ever expect from a car insurance company at a price that's less than you'd expect this is more than just insurance. This is Plymouth Rock Assurance. Visit us at PlymouthRock.com. host of a brand new show called Everyday Elder Care. My show will help you take the stress out of caring for your elderly loved one by educating you about options and solutions you may not even know exist. Tune in every Tuesday at noon on RVN TV. We'll see you there.
Imagine the finest hand-selected USDA prime steak you'll ever have. The freshest line-caught seafood. Our Wine Spectator award-winning wine list and soul-satisfying desserts. Bring that together with the perfect date. The winning business deal. A memorable family celebration. Welcome to Rod's Steak and Seafood. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder and my guest is Dave Nast. This is the part of the program that we call The Bottom Line, where my guest gets to provide their insight, their big key takeaway uh, that they want our viewers to catch if they watch nothing else but this. So Dave, what would be the bottom line that you would want to share with our viewers today? Thank you. Um, I would say that with workforce analytics, it enables us to predict performance so we can use actionable awareness to prevent problems. Right, and I think that's a really good takeaway and we spent a lot of time talking about that. And I wanna go a little bit into the weeds in an area where I know a lot of my viewers live um, and that's in the area of the transaction. Mm. So mergers and acquisitions, whether it's a private equity group, whether it's an investment banker, investor, CEO, CFO. A lot of folks are involved in transactions, uh, sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly. What does the workforce analytics and the ability to predict the performance of your workforce mean in deal mode? Yeah, um, so I look at it from two sides. I look at it from the sell side and the buy side. So starting with the sell side, uh, we're seeing, you know, we're in the middle of what this, the silver tsunami, as they say, right. 10,000 people a day are retiring. Uh, to put that into perspective, the entire city of St. Louis would have retired <laughs> in the last month. Um, nice. So a lot of those are baby boomer owned businesses family-owned businesses. And this transaction is probably the most important financial transaction of their lives, selling their business. And the other stat I got from, I think it was from Bain, was that 80% of, uh, of the companies up for sale aren't selling. So to help them get there, on the buy side, when you have workforce analytics, when you've previously determined what it takes to be successful in every role of the company, and you have all the data and all of your people, that actually counts as intellectual property. So that could increase the value of it, but certainly it reduces the risk. So you could walk up to a potential buyer and go, here's everything it takes to be successful in every role of the company. Here's all the data and all of our people. If you do experience turnover after the transaction, this solution will help you replace them with the right people faster. It takes a lot of the risk out of it for the buyer. So they're selling faster and they're getting more money for it. And then on the buy side, the, the question or the analogy I like to use is, um, you know, Dave, would you consider buying a 10-year-old Ferrari for 120 grand without a Carfax report? Probably not, right. but this is what's happening when they're, when they're buying a business. So I like to think of workforce analytics as being the Carfax report for your business. So they can go through it and see what's going on. So on the buy side, you can use this to smooth out the integration. We're working with a large company out on the West Coast right now that's actually acquiring five different companies in the next year. So what they've done, they actually designed in a vacuum. They designed all the benchmarks for the entire leadership team. So think about this. This is who we want to work with in a company that we buy. And they have this whole org chart. Then they go out and start courting people. And then they meet the humans. And then they put the human data underneath the benchmark and they see what they have there. They can identify where there might be some bumps in the road, what might be easier. Plus, a lot of things happen during integrations. There could be change in control. Uh, a CFO could 
retire, thank you, peace out, and take a package. Now we, we want institutional knowledge. Who reports to this person that's got the closest that we need for this job? So it can help smooth out that transaction from the buy side and integrate the two cultures a little bit more smoothly. So we can use it that way. And I think the old statistic was 75% of mergers and acquisitions fail due to people problems. Yeah. So this can take away some of that risk as well. Yeah, well, this, some of the statistics that I've seen suggest it's an even higher number. It depends on how you define failure, right? Mm. So in my world, a lot of times failure is defined as the inability to achieve the synergies, the one plus one equals three. And again, it comes back to people. So what I think I heard you just say was, you're again alluding to this corporate genome. So if you can yeah. identify kind of the right fit for the right role, you know what you're looking for. How does that translate into, into an interview process? Yeah, that's, um, it, it, that's great, by the way. It's so, and here's the other thing, it's a moving target sometimes. Stakeholders change, therefore the benchmarks should change. Um, a company takes on a new product, goes in a new direction, so same people, same role, but it's changed. Or a larger company with more than one location. Like we're working with a large company right now, they have a business development position in New York City and they have one in Miami. Same company, same position description, different benchmark because it's different stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So that can change over time. So one thing that PI enables you during the interview process, once you've established a benchmark, which is good for two reasons. One, we can measure someone's PI against it. Two, internal alignment is key. So if you have five stakeholders that touch a position and they think it's something different, in today's economy, where candidates have choices, that's gonna be a problem. So think about this, you're a smart guy, you interview for a position with five different people, you sit with them individually and you ask the question, what does success look like in this role? You're gonna get five different answers. Well, you may go home to your spouse and go, those people have no idea what they're looking for, I'm not going back for the second interview, I've got other options, so that's bad. So with this tool, in establishing the benchmark, we can get them in alignment, literally on the same page. It's called the job target report. So now they're in alignment. So now a candidate comes in to interview for it. When we match a PI to a benchmark, we get a competency-based interview guide. So competency-based is a little different. You've probably heard of behavioral interviewing. Sure. What would you do if? Right. There are a lot of profiles that will ace the what would you do if interview. And then you don't know if you hired a good salesperson or a good interviewer. You usually find out after the first quarter. Uh, but with competency-based interviewing, they, the questions are more, tell me about a time when. And they're much more experiential, if you will. And the software will generate two style of questions, an exploratory question and a confirming question. So if you're not a professional certified interviewer, there's not too many of us out there, it'll give you an interview guide as a hiring manager to work with during the interview. And then after the successful candidate gets the job, you get a coaching guide to help onboard them as well. And it's custom to the person fit to the job. That way you actually know where they're gonna fall short. And here's the thing, I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, oh, is this a red light, green light tool? You know, oh no, they're not a fit, go. No, you've got the blueprint for the job, you've got the blueprint for the person. You know where they're gonna excel and where they're gonna need some help you can coach them for it. And what I usually tell the hiring manager is this, I've got 12,000 hours in on PI and I think I've seen 15,000 PIs matched to jobs and I've seen five perfect matches in that time. No one's a perfect match. So I ask the hiring manager, what can you live with? Sometimes you'll have somebody who doesn't have the experience but they're a perfect match on the data. So you're gonna have to teach them the job, the skills and all that stuff. Other times you've got somebody who's got 10 years experience 
and they don't match it in terms of the drives. Well, you're going to have to coach them to pick up their pace or be more proactive or something like that. So I go to the hiring manager and say, what can you live with? Because if they have the time for, to develop the soft clay, that might be preferable. Otherwise, I need somebody who can get in and hit the ground running. We'll, we'll worry about the other stuff later. That's, that's what I call consulting. That's what I call establishing a really good fit for that. So today's economy, it's a candidate's market. 10 years ago, there were 40 candidates available for every one job. Well, now there's 0.9 for every mm -hmm. one job. So, and the last stat I saw from Corn Ferry was there's 85 million open positions right now, which translates to about $10 trillion in lost revenue, having those jobs go unfilled. It's a candidate's market. That's why our clients, I'm hearing from our CEOs, that they're having a problem with retention. People are leaving because times are good. These are the good old days. And they're also having a hard time getting enough people hired fast enough, and they're, they're misfiring on hires as well. Before the break, we talked a little bit about this holistic solutions, not just software. You get the team, you get the coaching. You mentioned something about strategy. You've got a strategy guide too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have something uh, called the management strategy guide, which can be different. Um, so I was up in New York yesterday with a company, and we were looking at this top-down, so the entire organization. So the CEO went and clicked these different boxes for the strategy for 2019 for the whole company. And then we took all his people and put it on this pie chart to see where they were. Now, good for him, he was heavy on innovation and a lot of people were in that quadrant. The ones that aren't, we gave them a guide to get them there. And then we started looking deeper. Well, innovation is what they're looking for in most of the company. It's not what they're looking for in their IT department. So we did a different strategy guide for the IT department. And then we did a different one for their sales team. And then we did a different one for this one particular office that's in Manhattan versus the one in Long Island. And you can do it that way. So you can have the stakeholders design this and then look at their people, see where they fit on the spectrum, so to speak. And the ones that aren't there, you have a guide to get them there. So it's actually, I like to think of it as a, almost like a business strategy solution. It's not just cute assessments to learn more about your people. It's not personality test. This is workforce analytics, so you can use it to plan the business strategy. Talk a little bit about the stretching again. So people can stretch within their capability. If, if it's not in their inclination or if it's not in their DNA, but it should be a part of their role, talk a little bit about how you get somebody to stretch if they're not wired yeah. that way. If they're not, yeah. So something that, um, that comes out of the data is I will learn what your highest drive is, and if I can appeal to that, I can get you there. So in the example I was giving you before, um, this person, their highest drive was around perception. So with someone who's high in perception, you want to frame everything for how they're going to be recognized. We also learned from the data how they make decision. So this person was subjective. Subjective people need to feel it. In order to feel it, you're going to have to give them the big picture and the why. Objective decision makers, give them the data and the information and use logic. So with this person, we had to appeal to them in a way. And he sat down with him and said, hey, look, in your last job, you were recognized by speed and volume. Here, you're going to be recognized by speed and accuracy. That's quite different for you. He's like, you're going to be working in a proprietary database that's cumbersome, clunky. It's going to take a long time for you to learn it. Has to be updated precisely every day throughout the day. Not at 5 o'clock and not on Fridays. All of our projections come out of this database. If the projections are off, so is your bonus. He clearly communicated how he'll be recognized, and then he gave him a great analogy. He said, remember what it was like to learn how to drive a car. The first time you're in a car, there's a lot to think about. 
mirrors, seat belts, seating position, door locks, the brakes, turn Great, signals. Your favorite radio station. Right, yes, your favorite radio station. Yeah, all that stuff that's important. And um, with that, now you just get in and go. He said, I promise you, you'll get to that level of proficiency. It's going to take longer than you expect. And that's all he said to him. So we took someone who has no detail orientation and they ramped it up because they knew that's how they're going to be recognized. So if we know somebody's highest drive, we can predict what they need and we can get the behavior where we want it to. So people can be motivated differently in some way. So think about masquerading once again, um, if we have time for this story. So you have eight people that report to you and they're all individual. Yeah, we're going to have to wrap up very quickly. Okay. You've all got right. about 60 seconds. Oh, okay. So can I won't tell that story. No, it's too long. But what I was going to say was if you know what's driving your people, if you know what their highest drive is, you can take that information to help them stretch in the other areas where they need the help and they'll do it naturally, and they'll do it in a way that doesn't kill them or drain their battery, and that's the key. That is the key, and I really wish that we had more time. This went so fast. Dave, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Real, real quick, how can people reach you again? Yes, if you're a business owner or CEO that's having problems with retention, hiring, or you have an M&A coming up, go to www.nastpartners.com. Great, thanks, and it's a pleasure. Uh, we'll have to have you back on the show again to continue this conversation. In the meantime, thank you for watching Behind the Numbers. I'm your host, Dave Bookbinder of the Pine Hill Group, and we'll see you again next time.